Chapter twenty seven of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter twenty seven Little Mock. Among all the children of Ab, and remarkable it was for the age, the best loved was Little Mock, the eldest son. When the child, strong and joyous, was scarcely two years old, he fell from a ledge off the cliff where he had climbed to play, and both his legs were broken. Strange to say, he survived the accident in that time when the law of the survival of the fittest was almost invariable in its sternest and most purely physical demonstration. The mother-love of Lightfoot warded off the last pitiless blow of nature, although the child, a hopeless cripple, never after walked. The name Little Mock was naturally given him, and before long the child had won the heart as well as the name of the limping old maker of axes, spearheads, and arrows. The closer ties of family life, as we know them now, existed but in their outlines to the caveman. The man and woman were faithful to each other with the fidelity of the higher animals, and their children were cared for with rough tenderness in their infancy. The time of absolute dependence was made very short though, and children very early were required to find some of their own food, and taught by necessity to protect themselves. But Little Mock, unable to take up for himself the burden of an independent existence, was not slain nor left to die of neglect as might have been another child thus crippled in the time in which he lived. He, once spared, grew into the wild hearts of those closest to him, and became the guarded and cherished one of the rude home of Ab and Lightfoot, and to him was thus given the continuous love and care which the strong-limbed boys and girls of the family lost and never missed. It was a strange thing for the time. The child had qualities other than the negative ones of helplessness and weakness with which to bind to him the hearts of those around him. But the primary fact of his entire dependence upon them was what made him the centre of their little circle of untaught, untamed cave people who lived in the Fire Valley. He may have been the first child ever so cherished from such impulse. From his mother the child inherited a joyous disposition which nothing could subdue. Often on the return home from some little expedition on which it had been practicable to take him, sitting on Lightfoot's shoulders or on the still stronger arm of old One Ear, his silent somewhat brooding grandfather, the little brown boy made the woods ring with shrill bird calls or the mimicry of animals and ever his laughter filled the spaces in between these sounds. Other children flocked around the merry youngster, seeking to emulate his play of voice, and the oldsters smiled as they saw and heard the joyous confusion about their tiny reveller. The excursions to the river were Little Mock's chief delight from his early childhood. He entered into the preparations for them with the zest and keen enjoyment born of the presence of an adventurous spirit in a main body. And when the fishing party left the fire camp, it was incomplete if Little Mock was not carried lightly at the van, the life and joy of the occasion. No one ever forgot the day when Little Mock, then about six years old, caught his first fish. His joy and pride infected all as he exhibited his price and boasted of what he would catch in the river next. And when, on the return, Old Mock saluted him as the great fisherman, the elf's elation became too great for any expression. His little chest heaved, his eyes flashed, and then he wriggled from Lightfoot's arms into the lap of Old Mock, snuggled down into the old man's furs, and hid his face there, and the two understood each other. 
It was soon after this great event of the first fish-catching that Red Spot, Ap's mother, died. She had never quite adapted herself to the new life in the Fire Valley, and after a time she began to grow old very fast. At last a fever attacked her, and the end of her patient, busy life came. After her death, one ear was much in old Mock's cave. The two had so long been friends. There with them the crippled boy was often to be found. He was not always gay and joyous. Sometimes he lay for days on his bed of leaves at home, in weakness and pain, silent and unlike himself. Then, when Lightfoot's care had given him back a little strength, he would beg to be taken to old Mock's cave. There he could sleep, he said, away from the noise and the lights of the outside world. And finally he claimed, and was allowed, a nest of his own in the warmest and darkest nook of old Mock's den, where he slept every night, and sometimes a good part of the day, when one of his times of pain and weakness was upon him. Here, during many long hours of work, experiment, and argument, the wide eyes and quick ears of little Mock saw and heard, while Ab, Mock, and One Ear bent over their work at Arrowhead or Spare Point, and talked of what might be done to improve the weapons upon which so much depended. Here, when no one else remained in the weary darkness of night and the half-light of stormy days, Old Mock beguiled the time with stories, and sometimes in a hoarse voice even attempted to chant to his little hearer snatches of the wild singing tales of the Shell People, for the Shell People had a sort of story song. Once, when Lightfoot sat by Old Mock's fire, she told them of the time when she and Ab found themselves outside their cave, unarmed, with a bear to be eaten through before they could get into their door, and little Mock surprised his mother and Old Mock by an outburst of laughter at the tale. He had a glimmering of humour and saw the droll side of the adventure, a view which had not occurred to Lightfoot nor to Ab. The little lad of the world, yet not in it, saw vaguely the surprises, lights and shades, and contrasts of existence, and sometimes they made him laugh. The laugh of the caveman was not a common event, and when it came was likely to be sober and sardonic. At least it was so, were not simply an evidence of rude health and high animal spirits. Humour is one of the latest, as it is one of the most precious grains shaken out of time's hourglass. But little Mock somehow caught a tiny bit of the rainbow gift, long before its time in the world and soon, with him, it was to disappear for centuries to come. One day, when Little Mock was brought back from an expedition to the river, he told Old Mock how he had sat long on the bank, too tired to fish, and had just rested and feasted his eyes on the wood, the stream, the small darting creatures in it, the birds, and the animals which came to drink. Describing a herd of reindeer which had passed near him, Little Mock took up a piece of Old Mock's red chalk stone, and on the wall of the cave drew a picture of the animal. The veteran stared in surprise. The picture was wonderfully lifelike in grasp and detail. The child owned that great gift, the memory of sight, and his hand was cunning. Encouraged by his success, the boy drew on, delighting old Mock with his singular fidelity and skill. Then came hours and days of sketching and etching in the old man's cave. The master was delighted. He brought out from their hiding places his choicest pieces of mammoth tusk or teeth of the river horse for little Mock's etchings and carvings. And as time passed, the young artist excelled the old one and became the pride and boast of his friend and teacher. Sometimes the little lad would work far into the night, for he could not pause when he had begun a thing until it was complete. But then he would sleep in his warm nest until noon the next day, crawling out to cook a bit of meat for himself at the nearest fire or sharing old Mock's meal, 
as was more convenient. While everything else in the Fire Valley was growing, developing, and flourishing, little Mock's frail body had ever grown but slowly, and about the beginning of his twelfth year there appeared a change in him. He became permanently weak and grew more and more helpless day by day. His cherished excursions to the river, even his little journeys on old one-ear's strong arm to the cliff-top, from whence he could see the whole world at once, had all to be abandoned. When the winter snows began to whirl in the air, little Mock was lying quietly on his bed, his great eyes looking wistfully up at Lightfoot, who in vain taxed her limited skill and resources to tempt him to eat and become more sturdy. She hovered over him like a distressed mother bird over its youngling fallen from the nest, but with all her efforts she could not bring back even his usual slight measure of health and strength to the poor little Mock. Ab came sometimes and looked sadly at the two, and then walked moodily away, a great weight on his breast. Old Mock was always at work, and yet always ready to give little Mock water, or turn his weary little frame on its rude bed, or spread the furs over the wasted body, and always Lightfoot waited and hoped and feared. And at last little Mock died, and was buried under the stones, and the snow fell over the lonely can under the fir trees outside the fire valley where his grave was made. Lightfoot was silent and sad, and could not smile nor laugh any more. She longed for little Mock, and did not eat or sleep. One night Ab, trying to comfort her, said, You will see him again. What do you mean? cried Lightfoot. And Ab only answered, You will see him. He will come at night. Go to sleep, and you will see him. But Lightfoot could not sleep yet, and for many a night her eyes closed only when extreme fatigue compelled sleep toward the morning. And at last, after many days and nights, Lightfoot, when asleep, saw little Mock, just as in life she saw him, with all his familiar looks and motions. But he did not stay long. And again and again she saw him, and it comforted her somewhat because he smiled. There had come to her such a heartache about him, lying out there under the snow and stones, with no one to care for him, that the smile warmed her heavy heart, and she told Ab that she had seen little Mock only whispering it to him, for it was not well, she knew, to talk about such things. And she whispered to Ab, too, her anguish that little Mock only came at night, and never when it was day. But she did not complain, she only said, I want to see him in the daytime. And Ab could think of nothing to say. But that made him think more and more. He felt drawn closer to Lightfoot, his wife, no longer a young girl, but the mother of little Mock who was dead, and of all his children. In his mind arose, vaguely obscure yet persistent, the idea that brute strength and vigour, keen senses and reckless bravery were not, after all, the sole qualities that make and influence men. Old Mock, crippled and disabled for the hunt and defence, was nevertheless a power not to be despised, and little Mock, the helpless child, had been still strong enough to win and keep the love of all the stalwart and rough cave people. Ab was sorry for Lightfoot. When in the spring the forlorn mother held in her arms a baby girl, a little brightness came into her eyes again, and Ab, seeing this, was glad. But neither Ab nor Lightfoot ever forgot their eldest and dearest, Little Mock. End of chapter 27